Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason, and I am in beautiful Wuhan, China, but I am from the U.S. Hi! Hello, Jason! And hello, our dear listeners. This is Beibei from Beijing! Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. So, what's the exciting thing we're talking about today? We're going to be talking about the speed of progress, which I think is a global phenomenon. Everyone knows about how fast China has developed to this amazing modern country that it is now. So I thought we would give people some insights into what it really looks like on the ground. Wow, speed of progress. How did you think of that topic? That's like huge. We can spend like 10 hours talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's from my personal vantage as someone who moved here 10 years ago, I can see mm. it, you know. And when I was living in the States, living in California, you know, mm. there was like a couple buildings built in San Francisco over the entire time that I lived there, basically, you know, <laughs> or like people, mm. you know, things, you know, what I noticed, I want to go actually talk about South Korea for a second. What I noticed about South Korea sure. moving from the United States is that there would be a shop, you know, selling, I don't know, cookies or whatever, you know, you just be walking by it on the way to work. And then like mm. two days later, there would be a different shop open in the same oh. location with an entirely different interior. And so I was like, wow, this would never happen in the United States. You'd have to get all these <laughs> permits and you'd have to go before this like part of the government and that part of the government. And then your mm. demolition would take a couple weeks at least. And then it probably sit empty because inspectors needed to check it. And then the, the whole process would take months, mm. maybe, maybe longer even potentially to turn one shop into a different kind of shop. And I, I moved mm -hmm. here to, you know, China and I noticed similar patterns that were just not the same as in the United States. And I thought that would be really mm. interesting for people in the US because, you know, there's a fascination with all things like futurism and development in the United States, but actually things in the United States mm -hmm. don't move very fast. Things move at a snail's pace oftentimes. Mm -hmm. Here in China, you just like, okay, the skyline looks like this. And then like next year you look up and the skyline looks different because there's different buildings poking up everywhere. And it's just like yeah. remarkable. Yeah. I struggle to remember what our neighborhood, like the surroundings looked like just a few years ago. Mm. Um, and you know, you, you drive by and you feel like, wait a minute, was that building there? Like <laughs> last year or last month? Seriously, sometimes it's, and they like, things are kind of changing fast. But, you know, speaking of speed of progress, I, I have an interesting perspective. You know, we watch bits of news from the States and all over the world. It, it's kind of a funny feeling because in recent years, people are, you know, from outside of China especially politicians, they're talking about China a lot. Mm. Like in, in the past few decades, nobody really talked about China much, you know, not mm, like mm. to the public. And starting maybe I think from the last an administration in the US, all of a sudden China is like in the news all the time. Mm. And usually <laughs> not in a very nice way. Um, <laughs> and it, it's very odd because you know, for decades, we've just been doing our thing, right? Mm -hmm. China has been just doing things according to its own pace. It, uh, you know, you know about the five-year plans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they come one after another. 
And that's what we've been doing, just making plans, following our plans and designing the future, mm -hmm. kind of just someone working, you know, just diligently do mining its own business. And then all of a sudden, one day, people started talking about you <laughs> and not saying very nice things about you. And you kind of lift up your head. It's like, what? Why? Well, what's wrong? What's wrong with us? What do we do? <laughs> what do we do to you? And especially, <laughs> you know, there's the term China threat. Right. I think that's that started from the last administration from the U.S., maybe. And that's even more intriguing because we were like, wait a minute. Do we fire anything at anybody? Do we drop anything on anybody? Hmm. <laughs> How come all of a sudden, you know, we are painted in this picture? Hmm. Um, and then, of course, later on, there's the, the trade war. So for us, you know, the common people who are not involved in politics it's it's very it's very odd we actually have to study things you know to go back and read the news and read books to find out why um politicians in the west especially are paying attention to us now and why all of a sudden um, we're painted in this negative tone or picture. Hmm. So, and especially nowadays, no, at least in the past year or so, you start to hear um, from U.S. politicians about China's infrastructure, hmm. right? And also about China's digital evolution, hmm. uh, progress in these regards, and also space, right? Space mm -hmm, exploration. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the China's space station, Mm -hmm. um, the Tiangong. Right, exactly. I mean, it's up and running uh, just this year. And I remember, this is a good example, because, you know, I remember reading in the news from the West and saying how, you know, it's saying again, China is a threat, we're going to lose to China in the space uh, race or whatever you call it. It's saying that China's been doing all these in secret, um, you know, trying to take up, you know, resources and things in the space. And we were like, Wait a minute, nothing was in secret. You know, the plan um, for space exploration development is you can actually view it on the website mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. public. Yeah. Right. We want to do certain things by a certain the year. The Chinese National Space Agency's website. Yes. So you know about that, right? And the Chinese space station. Oh, yeah. I have a t-shirt that says CNSA on it. <laughs> wow. So, well, I have, I have the ones that say NASA. So I was like, I want the CNSA one too. too. Yeah. So the China space station and the other rockets that we've been sending up, nothing was long march in secret. Right. Mm. I mean, it would, we made the plan to send the space station up by 2020 or 2021. So things were just, we're just doing things according to plan. Mm. But to the West, for some people, they're like, what have they been doing? Well, it's just, you haven't been paying attention, mm. right? Nobody's, we're not doing anything in secret <laughs> or trying to race this or that. We're just minding our own business, doing our own thing. So, you know what I mean? But yeah, I think I think you're right, but I also think that I'm excited about the possibility that America sees that what okay, firstly, I have to back up. I am a huge fan of space. Mm -hmm. So like, I grew up playing mm -hmm. Legos while watching Star Wars. So when I see, you know, you know the Sputnik, mm -hmm. when Sputnik was launched by Russia, the United States was like, "Okay, we're mm -hmm. going to space." And they were, right. like, really worked hard at it. Right. So when <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> 
So when I see China has Tiangong and has the U2 rover on the moon, which has, firstly, I want to explain to some of the people listening home, there's a satellite that has to be in lunar synchronous orbit behind the moon in order for that to be mm. possible. The United States, Russia, no other country's ever done that. They had to first launch mm. a mission to put this lunar synchronous satellite orbiting the Earth behind the moon, so just at the right angle so that they could detect a signal from the back of the moon before they then launched mm. to a rocket to land the U-2 rover on the backside of the moon, on the far side of the moon, mm-hmm. so that they could control it using this satellite, which is amazing. Mm. So when I see China doing this stuff, I'm like... What's what's really cool is all the other countries are going to be like, oh, okay, the competition's on, right? So that's going to mean more space stuff. And that makes me excited because when I someday mm-hmm. pass away, I want there to already be a colony on the moon and Mars. Really? And I'll be like, okay, I, I made it long enough. You know, I, I survived to see, you know, all the science fiction books that I re- read as a child mm. starting to come to fruition and I'll be like satisfied. <laughs> so the fact that China's doing so amazingly well at space makes me hopeful that, you know, the US will be like, oh, well, we're going to do this then. And then China will be like, oh, well, we're going to do that. And then maybe the the European Union will be like, oh, well, we're going to do this. And then maybe that means more cool space doodads, Mm -hmm. because I think space is awesome. You know, the the Tiangong, you're right. You know, all that information is available. I actually did a bunch of vlogs about them, about like the construction of years before they even did it. And then like, as they were doing it, and they're still doing it, actually, it's not finished being built. They just the first couple core modules that are up now, Mm -hmm. and they can only hold three astronauts, Mm -hmm. sorry, taikonauts right now. Taikonauts, yeah. But those, yeah, taikonauts. But it's going to eventually be able to hold nine taikonauts when it's completed in like a couple years mm. they're going to keep launching parts from i think at long march nine mm. and the people go up on long march two i know all about it i love i love everything <laughs> space this chinese national space agency is an amazing institution that is they say they're going to build something called like they don't call it a space elevator but they're essentially planning uh-huh. a space elevator huh. which is so cool it's really high tech stuff you need to like you know all of this really advanced material science in order to do it i'm not you know as an american i don't see any of this as a threat i think mm-hmm. There are some people in the United States that are worried about like satellite to satellite, like warfare technology. Mm. But I think most people in the U.S. are probably nerded out like me, are just like excited (laughs) that there's another space station. There's another space station. That means space stuff is cool Mm -hmm. again. I'm really psyched about what Chinese doing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I really, really am. Yeah. Like when I was little, 
um, we would watch in the news, like China sending a rocket up, and it happens in a once in a long while. Mm. But nowadays, you see it much more frequently. Mm. I'm mm. like, whoa, another one? <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, <laughs> celebrating, clapping <laughs> in the comments. <laughs> but there are so many nowadays. I, I don't know what they're all for. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it's, it, it's not, it's for good reasons. Um, mm. I hope I don't mm. understand what's behind it. But this is one. It's science. It's science, exactly. It's it's great that humans are still curious, right? We mm. want to find more, find out more about uh, uh, the world and the na- and nature in general. Mm. Um, but this is just one example in which, um, you know, the like outsiders see China's progress as we were, you know, we've been doing work diligently for decades, but nobody really noticed anything mm. until in the recent few years when I, I guess maybe. Some things are just uh, falling in place, you know, coming together finally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you're building, let's say you're building railway tracks mm-hmm. and also high speed trains, right? In the, in the beginning, nobody notices because it's just in pieces, right? Mm. A segment here, a segment there. But one of those days, these things will come up. And all of a sudden, when you look at the map, everything, the dots have been connected. Mm. And then people are like, whoa, what have they been doing? What have we been missing out? But that's just from your perspective mm. because you did not, you were not paying attention before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say with infrastructure and high speed rail train, mm-hmm. I mean, we've been building that for how long? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Like it goes by the decades, mm. right? Yeah. So in China, from our perspective, we don't see them as fast progress. It's just, you know, I, I think if you see China's progress in the past four decades, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would actually use the words um slow and steady slow and steady very persistent very patient if you lived in the united states for as long as i did you will you will see a a difference like Mm -hmm. maybe it seems steady to you but it's also let's talk about just gdp growth so the average gdp growth arc for the last year you have a background in economics you know what i'm talking about the average Mm -hmm. arc for the gdp growth in china has been at 9.8 percent average for the last 30 years so that means that you know it's slowing down a little bit now to where it's closer to you know like Mm -hmm. if you take away the last year or two which are really different because outliers outliers because (laughs) of the pandemic you're seeing right. about six and a half, six point three. You know, like that's still way faster than the United States. Now there are countries, right. very small countries in the, around the world, like Papua New Guinea, that have like fifteen percent mm. GDP growth some years. But you know, they're not mm. major powers. You know, or major. You know, like China is a, if they're a very large country, and so for it to have mm-hmm. that kind of development growth, it really is past getting to the point where in the next ten years it will pass that of the United States. Some people guess around twenty twenty eight. I've heard other experts guess like maybe the early 2030s mm-hmm. you know but you you know you mentioned the threat issue there's no threat china hasn't done any aggressive taking right. any aggressive <laughs> actions and really it is just about de- developing themselves right. really well That's they the do point. have a very strong defense policy but what every country should have a strong mm. defense policy right but going you know back to the um the speeds. There are some outliers mm-hmm. of things that have been built extremely fast in China. I mm. wanted to talk about a couple of sure. them. Sure. So there was a building in Changsha, mm. a 10 story residential compound that was built in 28 hours. Uh, now, obviously. Wait, what? <laughs> 28 hours? Are you talking about Lego? Or a building. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of a trick. Yeah, exactly. It's a, exactly. It's both. So, you know, it's oh. a prefabricated stuff. So all the individual parts were built in a factory 
And then they brought them on site <laughs> and then they said, okay, start the clock now. And then they built this residential compound in 28 hours for, to like, okay, <sighs> you can go inside now. But like, that is a cute outlier mm. because all the hard work was done beforehand so that they could ha break the... So that is amazing though. It's still amazing, even, even if it was prefabricated. I'm worried about like, doesn't it take time for cement to set? properly you know what I mean? like is it sh is it secure <laughs> well <laughs> i'm not an engineer i don't know i would assume that the engineers that signed off on it understand that there will be legal consequences if something were right. bad to happen. but you haven't yeah. heard of any news about the building in changsha collapsing right no this is still one of those like really people are living there they're proud that they live in the 28 hour building you know i wouldn't i wouldn't <laughs> want to buy an apartment there <laughs> i mean like I i'm gonna watch and see <laughs> if it was affordable i would totally buy it, it just depends you know, do you have a nice view of the water? Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> you have to, a water view is really important, you know? Yeah. As long as the water is clean. Well, these days they're mm. really paying attention mm. to water quality, just environment in general. So that's a good thing. Actually, on water quality and in this topic, I was looking up. The, I remember a few years ago, they're, they're talking about on the news. Like, oh, there's going to be this north-south water aqueduct. So, I looked that up in preparation for a discussion today. Mm -hmm. They're pumping water. So, you know, in the area where I live, mm -hmm. there's a lot of flooding in this area. You right. know, In this part of China, generally, there's flooding every year. Too and so, there's water. too much water. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And in Beijing, there's, there's not enough. Too little. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the central planning committee is like, okay, well, this is something we can fix. So, they built mm -hmm. a 860-mile-long corridor called the north-south corridor mm -hmm. or the north-south aqueduct to pump water from where there's too much water mm -hmm. to there was too little because they were th essentially thinking mm -hmm. Beijing could use this water theoretically for at least the next mm. century and it could also reduce flooding mm. for the next century. So, right. both ge localities benefit from something like this. It was finished in 2017, yeah. I think, and already started pumping water, mm -hmm. you know, like trillions of gallons of water from, from the south. Mm. to the north so beijing essentially has avoided it it's a uh, you mm. know uh drought and this area is not going to experience as much flooding as a consequence of pumping some of that water out i think you're so this is one of those things talking about uh. Like ash literally taking water from the south and move it to the north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of those huge projects. Yeah. But you know, a project like this in America, okay, let's decide to do this and then five years it's done. <laughs> it would take 20 years of like senators like arguing over whether there can be in this bill or that bill and mm. planning it for the, planning the plans for the right election period so to make themselves look good yeah. and then hiring their friends. And it would take forever for something like this to be built. Plus all the people like living on route would like, oh, no, I'm not going to do this. Right. I'm not going to do that. It's hard Domain problems. Right, exactly. But in, in, in China, it's like, okay, we're going to do this. All right, guys, we built you a new town over here. Mm -hmm. All right, boom. <laughs> and then they just start building. And now, and now that now it's finished. Well, now, it, it, maybe it's a little <laughs> bit more complicated than that. Because, yeah, I know. And of course, it's more complicated. I'm oversimplifying. But they did finish it in an enormously, like, is, so fast. <laughs> one thing is because... Um, you know, they make people understand what this project is for. Right? Because everybody knows, everybody knew mm. at least, that Beijing, mm. northern mm. part of China, mm. is too dry, right? And as you said, southern part floods a lot every year. You know, so these are two problems. How can we even things out? So mm -hmm. you make people understand, mm -hmm. and then they're compensated. You know, we hear in the news uh, for people re reallocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes they get into these um, uh, mm. arguments or, uh, you know, they go to court. 
because they're not satisfied with uh, the compensation amount. So that mm-hmm. gets into the news. Um, and people learn about, oh, what's, what's happening? So it is, I mean, it's complicated, but also one thing, one thing that's also crucial. Um, is that who is going to foot the bill, mm. right? For projects like huge projects, like the um, high-speed rail train mm-hmm. or any kind of infrastructure, mm-hmm. if you are sending this out, you know, to the private sector, you guys take care of it. You guys bid for this and that. Um, mm. Things might mm. not get done the way we want it because things are going to get really expensive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to consider whether or not they can make money from it. Mm-hmm. But things like this, these are not money-making projects, Yeah, you know? If you consider it with a mindset of a capitalist, none of this is going to work. Yeah. I mean, they probably won't live long enough to see their, <laughs> to get, get their money back. <laughs> so that's something fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Here is, you know, the government w- will put in a lot of money and they hire a lot of people, especially local people, so that they have employment. Mm-hmm. Right. And money starts circulating. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to point it out because, you know, that that's how a lot of things work. And one of the major mm-hmm. differences. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, mm-hmm. I was a high school senior, I think, we had to talk about some infrastructure project. It was one of our assignments, mm-hmm. research an infrastructure project and do a report and provide, you know, like visuals and stuff and write an essay about it. It's, you know, one of those kind of like senior projects things right. that we had to do. And I was really excited. I found the California High Speed Rail Project. Mm. So, okay, I'm giving away my age. This was uh, 25 years ago, 26 <laughs> years ago. So I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Wow, they're going to have a high-speed train that goes so fast. Mm-hmm. It's going to go from L.A. to Sacramento and San Francisco. Mm. And I, I wrote about it. I was excited. And I told my parents. And then, I, I, you know, because I did that, I followed it after mm-hmm. that. Because it was in my high school project, I was like, okay, every few years, I was like, okay, well, how's that how's going? How's that going? Yeah. <laughs> how's it going today? It is not even finished. Okay, it, this is 25, 26 years later, and I'm reading, oh, it'll be finished in about 10 Wait, years. Wait, they're still doing it? They have cracked ground. They have started building for years and years and years, and they keep allocating money, and they keep getting new people to work on it. And it's not finished. It will be finished maybe in the early 2030s. Why? So, yeah, it's more than 30, one line, one Line. China has 23,500 23, miles of high-speed rail, and it's all done that in, I don't know, 20, 15 years. Mm. Most of it in the last 10 or 15, really. But in, in America, they have zero. There's one in like the mm-hmm. northeast that they say is high-speed, but it still <laughs> travels at like 50 miles an hour slower mm-hmm. than a real high-speed is supposed to. So they, mm. they call it high-speed, but it's not. But there's not really any real high-speed rail in the U.S. And the California High Speed Rail Project, mm. one of the most famous in the United States, has taken 25 years to build wow. and it still won't be done for another 10 years. Now, for you, I see you're like, oh, it's very steady. Yeah, but look at the United States, how slow mm-hmm. by comparison. I'm not complaining, you know, like America just has all these very complex stakeholders. Right, right. So there's like national stakeholders, there's local stakeholders that, you know, just like you said, people are going to court. There's the California stakeholders, then, oh, how, who's going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been so long. Now we need more money. Mm-hmm. Oh, this contractor doesn't exist anymore <laughs> for X, Y, and Reavers. Now we need a new, con- I mean, there's so many hands trying to work on it that it doesn't 
doesn't get done. Whereas in China, it's like, okay, this is going to happen, you know, and th- they get everyone on board, like mm-hmm. you said, and then they, they just build things. America was once able to build things. Mm-hmm. America created this, you know, rail line. We actually, Chinese people helped build it on the West mm-hmm. Coast, on the West Side. That's right. why Chinatown in San Francisco is there. Mm-hmm. All of these immigrants from Guangdong mm-hmm. came over and participated in the construction of it. And it stretched across the entire continent. And it's in my history book from like junior high school or whatever. Mm. 30 like, years hey, ago. We built this- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, well, that was finished uh, 120 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, now at this time, the United States has a really hard time getting things done. Mm. Whereas one time in history, it did get big things done. And now it seems like China's getting big things done and the United States is just like holding its hat. It's complicated, but you do see the difference in results. And also when it comes to the high speed rail, China has the population to support it um, a lot better than the U.S. Mm, but U.S. Yeah, yeah. has a great uh, airline. What do you call it? System? You don't really mm, call it a system, mm. but you have enough yeah. you know, airline routes. People mm, mostly mm. rely on air travel and you drive. Yeah. But in China, mm-hmm. I think after deliberate and careful um, study... They decided that, you know, having a high speed rail system works mm. better for China. And mm. in the beginning, I think whenever any of these like major things, changes take place, people are always a little bit against it because change, people don't like change. I remember when we first started getting tickets for high speed rail, they were a little bit more expensive than, you know, the older trains. So, for example, when I was little, if I had to go from Wuhan to Beijing or Beijing back to Wuhan, mm we will go on a sleeper train. So we would mm-hmm. get on the train, let's say at 7 p.m., right? And then mm. you chill. <laughs> you have your the three-layer bunker beds and the trains are, you know, they're nice and decent. And you kind of, uh, you have dinner and then you chat and you sleep for the night. And by morning, 6 uh, p.m., you would arrive at your destination. We were pretty happy with that. You know, tickets, maybe two or 300 quai, mm-hmm. 50, 60 dollars. And then a few mm. years later, they had the high-speed rail train. And we're like, oh, it's, uh, you know, two, maybe 200 quite more expensive. Like, it's it's pricier. Mm. And it takes now four or five hours mm. to go from Beijing to Wuhan. I mean, it's okay. It's faster. But we were happy with what we had before. Mm. So, at that time, people were still kind of debating. But nowadays, a few years down the road, people are happy with four or five. It took Mm. them a little time to get used to the faster chain. You know, I can get there in a day. I'll Mm -hmm. go in the morning Mm -hmm. and I'll be there by, you know, early afternoon. And Mm -hmm. then I have the whole afternoon ahead of me to do things. Mm -hmm. So it took a little time. Um, But, you know, all of these projects, they take time Mm -hmm. and they take patience. And that's something I really I want to mention when it comes to the speed of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my perspective, uh, China's progress from, you know, the past four decades, it was slow, steady, and also very, just very patient. Mm. You know, it's uh, nothing was done uh, except that building in Changsha. <laughs> 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 nothing was really done overnight. And if you keep doing, you set a goal and you, you know, you set a general direction and you kind of just diligently follow the path, right? And conquer each obstacle as it comes your way. And then you get better and better at what you're doing. And mm. finally, one day, what you've been planning on, you know, they come together. And then people will see, oh, so that's what you've been doing. <laughs> and then they're all shocked. Like, what have you done? 
Well, we just we just been working Do on. Do you know the story of the tortoise and the hare? Right? Yeah, I was. You know, I was thinking about the same thing. Exactly. So China <laughs> has basically been the tortoise that hmm. that's been following its path, and it thinks about where it wants to go. Right? It thinks about it and makes a plan. And, and plans change a bit here and there, right, according to how things develop. But in the general direction, it knows where it wants to go, and it kind of just go there one step after another. That's a good example. You know, I mean, I can see that you. You can see it that way again. That makes sense from a certain perspective. It's just, I think that Americans are get frustrated. All these big hopes and dreams that have been built up on us in our education system, telling us about how great America is at building, mm. how it's, it's building into the future. And then the reality is in the last 20 or 30 years that there's just not the pace that people expect, mm-hmm. you know. So when people look at China and they're accomplishing all of these amazing tallest skyscrapers in the world, and depending on how you look at it, there's at least four of them that are in China. So four out of 10 of the tallest skyscrapers uh, on earth are in China. So like, you know. The one in Shanghai, probably. Yeah, the one right? in Shanghai is one of them. Yeah, I, I didn't memorize the list of like building names. Mm-hmm. There's a list. Yeah, they're actually different lists and they, it depends on how they count the spire and whatnot. So China does build just such amazing stuff. You know, um, I don't know how people feel about uh, in the West about socialism, these isms, right? Um, but mm-hmm. t- truth be told, you know, I grew up back in the 80s and the 90s in China. It was a very peaceful time. And I had a very, very happy childhood. Um, things were no, no one was seemed to be in a big rush, right? And all our neighbors mm. um, kind of lived similar lives. Which means that might sound boring to uh, some people, but at the same time, like nobody was jealous of anybody else. Nobody was feeling like, oh, I have to race this or that person to the finish line. So people just Mm -hmm. lived, you know, they weren't, they, they just lived their daily lives and they put themselves into making their daily lives a good life. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense of a stability, a stability and calmness to it that's kind of rare these days. Mm-hmm. It's like these days, everybody's going somewhere, you know, in a rush. Mm-hmm. Even though you don't feel like you're getting a lot done, everybody's just racing. <laughs> and sometimes you wonder, <laughs> where is everybody racing to, right? So, and everybody's competing. Even kids are competing. Ugh. I think Anyhow. you feel that way maybe because you're in Beijing. You know, I think the same thing exists in the US. You know, you're in New York, you're in LA, you're in Boston, mm-hmm. you're in, a, I don't know, maybe parts of San Francisco. Everyone seems really intense and it's a really competitive mm. and people are working really hard Probably, yeah. to try to be where they are and to succeed where they are. But you you go to some small town like, uh, I don't know, Modesto, California, because I've been there, mm-hmm. or some even smaller town than that, like uh, Sonora, which is in the Sierra Nevadas. People aren't rushing. People mm-hmm. are like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm going to go have a cup of coffee now and then I'm going to go to the skate park mm-hmm. and then I'm going to like go to the library maybe or go hang nice. out with my friend or something at their house. You, you, the same thing happens in China. You know, you go to Beijing, you go to Shanghai, you go to Shenzhen. People are like, okay, sh- go, 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 go. We need to <laughs> prove that we're, you know, there's a lot of movies. There was a movie with uh, Joe Dongyu where her and one of her girlfriends, they're standing on the mm. top of a building in mm. Beijing and they're like, I'm here, Beijing! You know, <laughs> like, they're, like they're there to compete, to enter the great competition of being one and of the And nobody takes notice, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no one takes notice. It's like, go keep going. <laughs> Someone's yelling. Doesn't matter. Got to get to work, right? Right. <laughs> but, you know, you go to like Qingdao even or even anywhere smaller and people are like, they're walking casually. It's like mm. not the same degree of intense rush. You go, you go to my wife's hometown, Yantai, Shandong, mm -hmm. and like, you know, people are like relaxing. They just more. live. It's not right? like, and yeah, they're living. Mm. They're not like intense in this intense super competition. I don't think, I think this is a similarity between the United States and China is mm. that, you know, you go to a major metropolitan area and people, if you're in New York City and you're not being competitive, then you don't belong there, right? Right, right. Yeah, and it's the same thing with Beijing and Shenzhen, China, you know, all these really big cities in China, it's the same exact thing. You know, speaking of big cities, mm -hmm. Shenzhen, mm. so talking about speed of progress, 1970, Shenzhen had a population of a a few tens of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. It was a fishing village, a really massive right. fishing mm -hmm. village where people would just go and fish and then live in their homes right. and chill. And today, it has a population of 18 million. Mm. And it's one of the largest cities in the world. It has the pop same population roughly of, of New York mm -hmm. City. That city didn't exist in the way that it does now 50 years mm -hmm. ago. And now there's one of the most advanced industrial, like right. technological cities on earth sitting there mm -hmm. across the bay from Hong Kong. And it was built in mm -hmm. the a period of decades. So there's another example of, you know, you say slow and steady. <laughs> it doesn't seem like slow to you. <laughs> and I, I can see that, you know, from, from an American's perspective, building a city the size mm -hmm. of New York in a couple, a few decades, mm -hmm. that's, that's incredible. Mm. Shenzhen is very nice. I mean, it's close to Hong Kong. And um, it's attracting a lot of young talent. And I think they're offering um, like preferential uh, resident status, like for young people with especially tech background. So that's one of those uh, great choices um, for younger people. Because it's, uh, it's not easy to, mm. I mean, it's easy to survive in Beijing and Shanghai, but not easy mm. to stay, you know, as in mm. by mm. stay, we mean like buying a house. Yeah. Now, people in the US, they're in the city, they're used to renting. Mm. Um, but the Chinese mentality, yeah. renting is still renting. You know, yeah, you, you're, yeah. You, it's not your home. <laughs> so they still want to buy your own apartment. Um, but it, that gets a little bit actually very hard here mm. in Beijing and Shanghai. Mm -hmm. But Shenzhen could be a good choice. One of my, um, I guess she's my niece or nephew. Wait, I, I can't, I, I will be forever confused about niece and nephew. One of the female, the female one. Niece. So niece, maybe she worked in Shenzhen for a while. And they, she was, at, she could actually rent one of those studios for mm. young people. Because mm. usually, I mean, renting is pretty expensive. Mm. Um, mm. But to attract young talents, they build these uh, apartment compounds. Mm. I mean, probably at different places in Hong, uh, in in the city. So it offers these uh, small but neat studios for a very decent price. So not like a huge chunk of your salary would have mm -hmm. to go into basic, you know, necessity, mm -hmm. uh, living necessity. So a good choice, yeah, for young people. When I was in grade school, like basically my first, no, our second apartment building, um, we had to share the bathroom. But at that mm -hmm. time, you know, that's how things were. You, mm -hmm. It was a two-story house. 
Uh, it was a two-story building, and there are probably, well, like, ten families on each floor. Mm. And you get, like, there was, like, a communal bathroom in the middle. So mm. everybody just went there. And I guess, like, back then, um, that's how things were. So nobody really mm. felt like it was weird. I mean, it's a little inconvenient, right, if you have to um, get up at night. But you do have those, like, uh, potties <laughs> for for adults in your apartment. <laughs> so at that time, see, it, it's hard to go back to things, you know? Like, when mm. I was little, that's how things were. And nobody thought of complaining. Um, but now, if you ask me to go back to that, I'll be like, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'll work <laughs> harder, make more money, and get my own bathroom. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's how things go. It's hard to go One back. One of the first vlogs yeah. I ever actually made, I used to live in Dashing. So, you know, different cities have, like, what we call a bedroom community, which is, like, essentially mm. where the houses are, and, you know, people live a little further away, and they commute into the city. So, you know, for San Francisco, that's, like, the San Joaquin Valley, mm -hmm. or, like, uh, Pleasantville, and Dublin, and all these cities that are a little further away. They call themselves the Bay Area, but they're not the really the Bay Area. And then they, they drive in, or they take the BART, <laughs> the Bay Area Rapid Transit uh -huh. System, which is kind of like a subway system that brings people into Oakland and San Francisco, Berkeley, and, and mm -hmm. others, other major, uh, you know, urban areas in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. You know, Beijing, a lot of people, okay, it's a city, but it's also not just a city. It's like a huge, it's like a, it's like a tiny province or like a gigantic city. It's like city a region, with, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a place where you live also to the north, but also to the south, I think it's more like uh, freshly developed where there's tons of high rises for people to live apartment complexes that are just going up all the time again back to mm -hmm. uh, you know, my perception as an American living in, in, mm. in, Be in Beijing of the speed of progress one of the mm. many places my wife and I lived was in Dashing and we live mm -hmm. really far south almost in uh, sixth ring south so wow. line four went all the way to our place we were like one stop from the end of line four to the south of Beijing. Wow, you were and like outside Beijing. <laughs> you were barely in Beijing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I could get on a, the subway right. and get on line four and I would be where I was working at that time in Majapu, which is, you know, mm. properly Beijing. And I could get there in like 35 oh, minutes or whatever. So in a way, this the Doshing community is kind of like the bedroom community of Beijing. Mm. It was like 2019, I went outside to make a video and I looked around and I realized the tiny little enclave that I lived in was bigger than my mom's hometown. Wow. My mom's hometown is this small town. It's like 10 or 20,000 mm -hmm. people. And I walking around, there were more skyscrapers and residents living in like just a tiny little area, just a tiny little mm -hmm. like corner mm -hmm. of Dashing where, you know, if you go out into Dashing, there's just like a big complex of, of buildings all together in one place and a big complex of buildings all together in another place. They're almost like mm -hmm. little towns unto right. themselves that are like getting, you know, providing living space for people to go into Beijing. And my mm -hmm. one little enclave had like, I don't know, it must be like 30 or 40,000 people. Mm. And it was all built right. in a matter of a few years. And in just a few years, this entire like mm. bedroom community pop up boop, was just like erected so that we could live there. And the apartments mm -hmm. were affordable by Beijing standards. So, you know, you live in downtown Beijing, you could pay five or 10 million RMB for an apartment. Right. But in Doshing, they're going for like one and a half million RMB. And, you know, mm -hmm. you still have access to right. all of Beijing's amenities and things. Yeah. And so I was just thinking about that as an American looking at these little, these residential complexes that are like facilitated. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me. And, you know, they'll start building one mm. and three or four years later there's another <gasps> one you can't do that in america you can't just build like 
10 skyscrapers in a matter of three or four years in America. It just doesn't happen. Well, see, I was uh, thinking about something, not to mess with American politics, though, but it's just, you know, some hmm. uh, someone from far away thinking about these kind of things. Um, so the uh, presidential term in the U.S. is four years, right? And now I don't yeah. know if you feel it these days, but time just goes by so fast, mm. right? Mm. A year whips mm. by. It's been two years mm. since the start of the pandemic. Mm. I mean, it feels like it just happened, mm. right? We're still getting used to it, yeah. but it's been two years, almost two years. And sometimes I think that you know, a four-year turn and sometimes eight-year turn, it's not enough mm -hmm. to really get things done. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, like, I, I know I'm talking about structural things and not that it will make any difference, <laughs> but I'm just from someone with no background in, in politics or, you know, any of that. I'm just thinking nowadays, four years to eight years, it's just not enough time to even really plan things out and get things started, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So if with administrations changing every four to eight years, how do you get things done? I mean, how do you how do you initiate these, you know, bigger projects? Well, I mean, I do see the advantage to what you're talking about, you know, like how there's a central planning committee and they they have very dedicated to their projects and the five year plans. I agree with all 100 percent of what you're saying. And I do think mm. the technocracy that China has is has a definite and clear advantages. But what where I might disagree a little bit mm -hmm. is that I don't think it's entirely that the fault of just the president. Mm -hmm. I think that the way that power is distributed, a lot of it has to do with just like there's some congress person sitting in a seat they've sat there for like 30 years mm. and they have all of these lobbyists mm. begging them to like do this and to do that and to not do this and to not do that mm -hmm. and like actually a lot of the problems with the united states inability to get a lot of things done has to do with just like the congress is is a huge problem mm. in politics i think a lot of my american friends whether they're on the left or the right of american politics will agree mm. that congress is just this like very moldy static institution <laughs> that's incapable of getting producing real results mm. because of all of the the interests that are buying into like essentially mm. just paying for their food and their extravagances mm -hmm. and, and there's there's just an enormous amount of corruption on both sides mm. in the American political congress so like you know the president gets in there and you know all there really is are a rubber stamp for things that their party likes maybe occasionally things things that both party likes mm. the president doesn't seem to actually have a lot of real power, power. Mm. it's really is the congress has an enormous amount of power but they just are in inept and incapable of getting a lot mm. of things done is that's how it feels from an american and also you know I from think. um just a and like you know a commoner a, a normal citizen with no political attachments or any power mm. you know i mm. think about these things sometimes for example the belt and road initiative you've heard mm -hmm. of that right oh, oh yeah so the bri but the thing mm. is if you go to the states and you ask you know just random people about the belt and road initiative my guess is most people probably haven't heard of it, right? And now people in China, we hear this in the news, and um, it, it was actually initiated. I mean, it came out, hmm. made its debut back in 2013. Hmm. So that was eight years ago. It's been around mm -hmm. um, in, in in public for eight years now, but people have not been paying attention until maybe the most recent two or three years, mm. even for people in China. Mm. We heard of it, you know, back then, but yeah, yeah, one of those things, big things they do. And then now it's, uh, you hear it more and more in the news. It's getting, it's like you start to understand it a little bit more. Mm. 
And then I think it takes a bit longer for uh, people living in foreign countries to get to know this project. And my point is that things take time. You know, this project, you know, before 2013, before its debut into the, you know, in, in public in the world, mm. it took years in planning, right? And then um, they announce it. Ah, uh, we're going to start this project. And then, then it gets going a little bit. And I think things are uh, coming together a little bit more. But this is a, like a long term project. We're looking into the future mm-hmm. at least, you know, 50 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. down the road. We want certain things to, to take shape. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. takes a span of decades. But I think this is one way of, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. China's way of doing things. It's, it's always mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. some long-term project, especially if it's, um, you know, mm-hmm. an initiative from the top. It's rarely something that gets done mm-hmm. in, say, two or three years. Yeah, we're going to get this done. It's it's always yeah. some vision into the future. And so the, the uh, an administration changes every few years. How do you get things like that done, right? You start something and then maybe the next president think, oh, it's too much money. We, we're not going to see results, right? You're right. You know going I mean? back to what we were talking about earlier, one of my favorite interests, space. That's a big reason that a lot of things didn't get done in the United States regarding space for so long. Because one administration would come and they would be a big fan mm-hmm. of NASA and they'd be like, okay, NASA, we're going to the moon and they would set a date and the next administration would come and say, <laughs> you know, we don't want to spend... What a waste of money! <laughs> yeah, what a waste of money. We're not going to spend money on that. And then the moon station or like whatever project would be pushed back again. And then the next administration, we love space again. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> so like, that's one of the big pro- problems with NASA is like, actually, you know, they have a very large budget. It's like $20 billion or something. Mm. But actually, compared to the rate of inflation and stuff, it's much lower than it was in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So they keep getting kind of gutted by inflation. So like, mm. I think America is starting to become com- a little bit competitive in space again. And that's largely it's feeling the pressure, probably. <laughs> I think it's SpaceX. Finally, you know, someone is mm. trying to do something where like America matters in space again. And it's really like mm. Elon Musk, right. his personal pet project. Pet project. But, you know, I'm just sending some people <laughs> to Mars and yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll believe right. it when I see it. So I think um, <laughs> no, we've been talking about, at least we've been trying to talk about the speed of progress. But I think one of the mm-hmm. uh, main points I have, the feeling I have about progress is that it takes a lot of time, right? Um, it doesn't take a lot of talking. Hmm. You don't really hear, um, you know, national leaders talking about this a lot in public. But they do things. They make the plans and they, they stick to it. They make the adjustments, um, but they go in the same direction. And you keep doing that for, for years and decades, now you will see, start to see results. Because I, I think about this because I think it's the same for, for us, for humans, for each individual, right? If you really want to get somewhere, mm-hmm. if you really want to be somebody, get something done, uh, start planning and then start doing things. Because everything, say you want a certain result in 20 years, then you got to start now. Mm-hmm. Right? It everything takes time, especially nowadays. Time seems to be magically going faster for some reason, and also there's a. I think it might be because we're both older. <laughs> maybe, but it's just uh, sometimes it feels a little scary how fast things are going. Hmm. And also, I'm thinking of this Chinese um, idiom. Um, basically, says the ancient people they plant the trees. You know, the seedlings and mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the gener- few generations after that they enjoy the shade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's how a lot of Chinese people think about this. We're not really just doing things for, for us per se, mm-hmm. right? It's we, when we think about projects or 
doing things on the national level, a lot of times is thinking about the next generation and the generation that comes after that, or even in a hundred years. So I think that maybe that's a mentality that's a little different. In the US, you feel like, you know, you want some fast results, right? You're used to um, see the numbers of the quarterly reports. How are we doing? But in in China, I think the mentality is a a little, a little different. They Mm -hmm. set a direction. Mm And they just, you know, as the tortoise goes, they just, it keeps going that direction and knock out whatever obstacles that come in the way. Mm-hmm. So slow and steady uh, and, and being very patient. I think that's my understanding of the speed of progress in China. want to just talk a little bit about, you know, Mm. I arrived in China about 10 years ago ish, you know, my first trip actually was like 12 years ago. But when I first arrived, Mm. and this is, I think Mm. a difference, you're talking about making really strong plans and following those through in the long term and looking out for the next generation. Mm. But just from like an expat's perspective, coming to Beijing in 2010, Mm -hmm. and looking at the way Beijing was and the soul of Beijing. So this imagine the smell of Mm. barbecue for all of those listening at home. And that's what Beijing smelled like. Beijing smelled like chuar, which is like barbecue on a stick. That's what this that's what Beijing smelled like. And then occasionally it smelled like sulfur Mm. from the uh, fireworks, because (laughs) it was a place that was full of plastic tables and people eating Mm. chuar outside all Mm. the time, everywhere, all across (laughs) Every different district of Beijing, people at night would eat chuar and they would drink beer or you know, mm. and Malatong. Oh, I love Malatong, but it's it's harder to find now. But everything, you know, changed, you know, like it went from smelling like barbecue to where it smells like, you know, a clean street, you know, everything Cleaner. is. Yeah. So there are so many malls and all of the shops are indoors mm. or they have a patio where you can go out in some instances. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, you go you go inside to eat now mm. and like the city is clean. And, you know, it used to be that there was it, Beijing was a little polluted mm-hmm. and now Beijing is clean and like the air is breathable all the time time you don't need to wear a mask for the purpose right. of pmi pm 2.5 like you wear a mask for a very different reason right. now but the air is clean and like beijing has a different beijing it's like living in two parallel universes so mm. there's one alternate universe and then you mm-hmm. go through the multiverse like through the science fiction machine and then there's a different different beijing and like both beijings are lovely and both had ch- have charm like right. new beijing is very modern and like you can go like shopping in the mall and like carry your bags around and like get right. in your nice car and more western and your tesla and dry, you know mm. that's beijing now very very posh very modern very postmodern and you, know, you go back you go to the other universe where it, like mm. beijing is very charming and like people right. are sitting on the street laughing and exactly. clinking glasses together like i'm not saying that mm. i don't like the change i'm just saying that it's <sighs> changed like and you know you look at guamao in 2011 you look up at the sky and you have the cctv mm-hmm. tower and one or two buildings you know and that was it and now you look mm. Up and it looks like New York City. It's like, wow. It's just like skyscraper after skyscraper after skyscraper. As far as the eye can see, you could drive in any direction mm-hmm. from Guamau and you're going to just keep seeing skyscrapers for like a little while. It's like... Mm. The whole city, the entire soul of Beijing Changing is a bit. different somehow. Mm. It's like you're sent- 
you sent your kid away to college and they came back right. and they were a different person. <laughs> That's what, yeah, Beijing is, is a yeah. different place. And I, I'm just thinking about the one city I was in. I mean, you go to other cities, I'm sure that there's been a phenomenal change mm. there too. So like the entire country of China has changed to this entirely different mm. China. I mean, not entirely, but like visually and, you know, the smells, the sounds and the mm. skylines. It's it, it has undergone from an expat's perspective. And I, I talk to mm -hmm. a lot of expats, you know, we get trapped in these little <laughs> expat bubbles. We notice the change and we talk mm. about the change. Well, Beijing used to be like this, Shanghai mm -hmm. used to be like that, Shenzhen used to be like this. And now we see, we can see so much right. like change and we experience through all of our senses, all of these, these I changes. do miss the points that you mentioned. I think that that's like the two sides to a coin. You know what I mean? Like you want it, mm. everybody mm. enjoys a clean place to live, a clean environment. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I so enjoy the lively elements to a city. You know, as the chuar stands, vendors you mentioned, what comes mm -hmm. with that? It's not just you know, the, the yummy kebabs, I guess that you can call it Chinese style kebabs, <laughs> but there's also smoke, right? There's pollution into the mm -hmm. air. There's noise for the neighborhood, mm -hmm. for people living around it. But I mean, I love it because yeah. I, that's when I feel like the city is really alive. Right. You you enjoy a mm -hmm. few char and from the stand and then go you walk by a park and there are, you know, all these ladies, um, retired ladies dancing their square dance and you <laughs> sip your beer. You feel like, wow, this is what life should be like. You know, everybody in, enjoy a <laughs> normal, not, you know, extremely prosperous, but uh, but just happy and steady and and uh, mm, mm. Uh, common day life. Nowadays, things are cleaner. Um, you don't see as many of these stands or vendors as much because, you know, they want to keep the streets clean and also fire hazards and all that thing you have to take care of. And also, um, like, veggie mm, vegetable mm, markets. Mm. There used to be more of these um, outdoor farmer's market kind of thing. Right. And once you walk in, they don't just sell vegetables. There are stands where they will, you know, like a like a shoemaker mm -hmm. will fix your shoes for you. Mm -hmm. Another place where they'll have like a seamstress where they uh, they offer some, you know, make clothing or mend your broke mend your clothes and things like that. It's like a little community. All the people that were working outside, you know, all those vendors, mm. it's not like they just vanished. You know, you they go down to Dashing to where I, yeah, mm. exactly. All I went to these restaurants and like stuff in Dashing where I was living at the end of line four. And those are the people that were like selling outdoors in other neighborhoods. Mm. What happened was as modernity just kept urbanizing and building more residential compounds, those people took their, the money that they had made mm -hmm. and they invested it. And now they own restaurants in other parts of the oh, community. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I remember there's used to be this uh, outdoor vegetable market that I love to go to. Because, you know, when I went there, I felt like, ooh, I, I'm so alive. I'm living, you know, I'm living my life here. <laughs> um, instead of buying things in the supermarket where everything is like saran wrapped and there's so much plastic everywhere, right? Everything looks perfect, but they're just not as lively. Um, I really enjoyed my trips to the outdoor market, but uh, and then it closed down and then it turned out that they were renovating it. Mm -hmm. So after a while... Um, they turn into basically indoor, uh, like an indoor market, 
and those sellers came back, they just had their new stalls inside. Mm, I mean, mm, mm, it's mm, better mm. for them because in the, you know, when you work outdoors, it's too hot in the summer and it's too cold in the winter. Now they're protected all year round. There's so much to talk about that we were not able to cover because this Mm. is a huge, massive topic. As you pointed out, we Mm. are out of time, baby. Already? Oh, oh well. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> let, let's make up another topic and continue <laughs> along these lines <laughs> some other day. Part two. The speed of progress part two. I think All right. I think we'll have part two to everything. All right. Thank you guys <laughs> for listening. Thank, thank you, you Jason. I'm going to stop now. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.